the Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Not an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, that's a very good question. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky day, Mr. Sam. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. W.H. Weiskarper, a recent guest on the show, has pledged 50% of the proceeds from his book Twilight of Empire from sales between October 1st and October 31st to support the Tom Sumner program. W.H. Weiskarper, a former National Security Advisor and counsel for the U.S. Senate Armed Services Committee, pulls no punches, fusing history with political intrigue in Twilight of Empire, the third of four planned novels in the Resurrection Saga series. W.H. Carver's book, Twilight of Empire, shows that the U.S. has all the wealth, science, and resources to solve every issue we face today. Twilight of Empire by W.H. Carver is available on Amazon and Apple Books. For more information and to support the Tom Sumner program, visit whyscarver.com. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Crying 
the pain, oh yeah, this hurt I feel inside, words could never explain, I wish it would rain, oh yeah, let it Tears stained face, pressed against the window pane. My eyes search the sky, desperately for rain. Cause raindrops will hide my teardrops. No one will ever know that I'm crying when I go outside. To the world outside my tears Oh, I refuse to explain I just wish it would rain Rain Wish it would
Armchair Politics is going to hell. Hell, Michigan, that is, and you are invited. On October 27th, Wednesday before Halloween, Armchair Politics will be broadcasting live from 9 a.m. to noon from the Hell Saloon in Hell, Michigan, near Pinckney. This will be our first in-person meeting of the Tom Sumner Program's weekly roundtable armchair politics since the beginning of the pandemic. Join me and roundtable regulars Flint's premier political pundit Paul Rosicki on the left and longtime Genesee County Republican Henry Hatter on the right, plus more on Wednesday, October 27, 2021, starting at 9 a.m. at the Hell Saloon. Armchair politics is going to hell, and you can too. talked about a while back and uh, and invite back the uh, author from National Geographic. She's uh, spent more than a decade writing and editing for uh, National Geographic, Science News, NPR, and uh, we're going to talk about her book as we did uh, the last time she was here, but it seems appropriate to revisit it, called Gory Details, and I'm talking about Erica Engelhaupt, who joins me by phone. Hi, Erica. Welcome back. Hi, thank you for having me again, and happy Halloween. Well, yeah, <laughs> and and what better way to uh, ramp up to Halloween than talking about gory details, um, or as the subtitle hints or, or or suggests, adventures from the dark side of science. And and what is it about you, Erica, and the dark side? <laughs> I guess I'm just drawn to it. You know, I think. Um, I think I've always been one of those people who, um, you know, I, I both love science and I've always loved all kinds of, you know, 
uh, gross and creepy stuff. You know, I, I was one of those kids who grew up reading both National Geographic and Discover Magazine and all kinds of science stuff. And then also, you know, sneaking in Stephen King novels, <laughs> all of that kind of thing. So, you know, for me, becoming a science journalist really allowed me to, to you know, delve into the science behind all the th- kinds of things that fascinate me. Well, you know, there's a, a lot of people that would be, um, if not frightened, creeped out by some of the things in this book. But what is it about you and, and of course, regular people? Um, <laughs> that, <laughs> I like that contrast. <laughs> that, but that that are drawn to things that frighten them. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you, look, you look at this time of year, Halloween is so popular. Um, and I think, you know, it's that one day when we really get to embrace all of the gross and scary stuff. And, and we enjoy it. You know, it, it's fun. And it, it seems kind of contradictory. You think, well, why do we like to be afraid? Why do we go willingly into haunted houses and do all of this, you know, scary, creepy stuff? And I think there are a couple things going on. Uh, I think first, you have to understand some of what's happening in our brains when we're afraid. Um, you know, there's a part of the brain called the amygdala that processes fear, and, and it sends signals to different parts of the brain, and one of those signals triggers the, uh, the fight-or-flight response, and I think a lot of us are familiar with that. That's when we're, you know, we're making adrenaline, your heart gets pumping, you're also making cortisol, which is a stress hormone, but you might not realize that we're also making dopamine, which is involved in the fear response, but it's a really important brain chemical that's part of the brain's reward system. So it's also associated with feeling pleasure. So literally, we do feel a rush when we're scared. (laughs) And some of us feel that more than others, right? There's this kind of spectrum of uh, people who love all the scary stuff, the scary movies, the haunted houses, and then there's people who want nothing to do with it at all, right? So on the spectrum, you know, the people who love the scary stuff, we call those high sensation seekers. And um, some researchers, um, thinking of like Ken Carter at Emory University, have studied these people. And these are the thrill seekers of the world, the people who, you know, want to, who are the first ones on the roller coaster. And scientists have found that in scary situations, those thrill seeker type people, those people produce actually less of the cortisol, the stress hormone, and they produce more of the dopamine, that pleasure and reward associated chemical. So they're literally getting more of a reward and less stress in a scary situation than other people are. So those are the people who, you know, are ready to go again on the roller coaster, <laughs> um, you know, and, and that helps explain some of why at least some of us really, you know, enjoy scary stuff. And some of us could really, you know, take it or leave it. More gory details with science writer and editor Erica Engelhaupt straight ahead. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms, and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe By from the Blue Hawaiians. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom. This is my favorite interview always. You, you, <laughs> it's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Yo, speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed! It's a robocall! Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate, but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, File a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. But you know Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. 
Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to Tom Sumner Program. More gory details with science writer and editor Erica Engelhaupt straight ahead. Well, I remember several years ago, um, I, me and a partner uh, worked on building and designing haunted houses. And what we tried to do was set up in each display area something that dealt with a different phobia. Ooh, yeah. If it was spiders, if it was heights, if it was, you know, any anything we could come up with, pure darkness, any anything that somebody might have a uh, phobia about, we tried right. to explore in the various uh, exhibit areas. And there'd be, you know, a dozen or 15, you know, different scenes. And uh, some of them were quite dramatic. We had... Um, uh, we had uh, a, a room that was on fire. Um, Ooh, wow. And and what we did, we literally built a floor and put it on mattress springs. So the floor was not really quite solid, like it might be going to cave in. And there were oh windows God. in this, this room with flames behind them and smoke pouring into the room. It, it was it, it was pretty pretty startling yeah um yeah and which also talks about it doesn't always have to be gross things but it often is um yeah yeah and i I think there's kind of um there's a relationship there between um fear and disgust you know sometimes we like being scared like things like all of the things all of the phobias that you were dealing with in this haunted house right those were probably mostly very um, sensory things, things that you could see or feel or smell, um, and, and you know, they were obviously frightening. Um, whereas disgust is a little different, but it's kind of related. You know, you go into a haunted house and sometimes they'll have the thing where you can, like, stick your hand into the fake bucket of guts. <laughs> yeah, or <laughs> that kind a, of thing. things, a, things on, that are really gross. An ongoing... Uh surgery or autopsy or something where there's a lot of blood and gore and guts and all that. Right, right, exactly. That kind of bloody stuff, you know, that kind of taps into our disgust. And, and which is interesting because, you know, related to fear, there's kind of a similar thing that can happen with disgust where we, we sometimes like to be afraid. We sometimes like to be grossed out too. So people will, you know, look at all the blood and gore or even touch the stuff at a haunted house or, you know, another thing I've seen is people will line up for hours to smell what's called a corpse flower when it's blooming. And this flower, it's huge. And it literally smells like a rotting corpse when it's blooming. It's absolutely disgusting. And people will line up wanting to smell this thing that they know is going to be disgusting. Yeah, I've heard of that. And I've seen why, why would we do that? Right. Yeah, I, I've heard of that. I've seen video of that. I've never experienced it myself. And and another thing that ca- that came back to mind, um, thanks to your book and and revisiting your book, um, and and I wish we'd have known about this uh, back in the haunted house days. Body farms. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's you know one of those real world things um, you know that's happening in science that is, you know, seems very creepy on the face of it, but it is in the, in the good name of science. Um, 
So body farms, for people who haven't heard of them, are research facilities where scientists study the decomposition of human bodies. And, you know, why would they do that? Well, there are a lot of, uh, you know, forensic science questions to be answered there. So when you want to see, um, you know, how long, how long someone's been dead, for example, you have to know a lot about how they decompose and what environment they were in, the temperature, the weather, all of those kinds of things. So all of that information comes from places like these body farms, these forensic research sites where um, bodies that have been donated, you know, for that purpose to science uh, when someone dies, um, you know, are, are basically used in, in a variety of experiments to look at how decomposition happens under a variety of circumstances. So there are these places, and I'm actually, in fact, about, oh, maybe a mile or so from one right now. I'm in Knoxville, Tennessee, and here at the University of Tennessee in Knoxville, we have, um, you know, a very famous body farm, the first one that was established in the United States, and uh, where they're doing all kinds of research right now <laughs> with, um, you know, with a variety of, uh, of cadavers. So, yeah, that's, that's one of the, the kind of creepier or, or a little bit more kind of disturbing kinds of science research that I talk about in my book, but, um, but also very important. You know, if, if no one was willing to do the experiment, then we just wouldn't have any of that information to use for solving crimes. It, it is a fascinating thing, and, and of course, as as you point out, it's it's um, decomposing bodies under a variety of conditions, so that um, forensic scientists can can look at a decomposing corpse and the environment it's in, and draw some conclusions about how long it's been dead and and all of that kind of thing. But what about some exactly. of the things that, that are creepy? And, and I notice I, I have something listed here in my notes about clowns, and, and I did that mm. on purpose because <laughs> some people are completely creeped out by clowns. Others think they're a riot and laugh and giggle. I made the mistake when my daughters were really young, way too young, mm -hmm. of um, playing the movie uh, Stephen King's It. Oh no! The, the, the original, <laughs> and and I thought, oh, this will be fun. It's about clowns, you know. And, and neither <laughs> neither one of my daughters can get you know in the same area code with a clown, and <laughs> and but you know, it isn't just creepy clowns. What is it about clowns that make them a little bit mm -hmm. creepy, even for kids who haven't been emotionally scarred by their parents like mine? <laughs> right, yeah. I mean, so so first off, I think we have to think a little bit about what do we mean when we say that something's creepy? What makes something creepy versus scary, right? Yeah. So, you know, some, something scary, you know, that's obvious. That's If a clown has big, giant teeth, then it's coming to eat you, you know, that's obviously scary. Um, but creepiness is when there's some kind of ambiguity. You're not sure whether something is a threat or not. Uh, so when something's creepy, you know, like a clown that's just being a clown, it's not, well, it doesn't have big teeth, it's not, does not, have, not holding a knife, right? But they, but they might have, um, um, the way their makeup is done might show a yes. frown around a mouth that's exactly. smiling. Exactly. Exactly. And or vice versa, you know, they they've got this big painted on smile, but you can't tell 
what's going on under that, if they're really happy and friendly or not. And, you know, so what happens when something's creepy like that is you've got this ambiguity. Um, you know, you can't tell for sure, like, what is this thing going to do? Is it really happy and friendly or is it not? And so your brain ends up basically having this internal battle with itself. You know, on, on the one hand, you've got that that fear impulse kicking in, what I was talking about before, where, you know, your fight or flight response is kicking in and your body's starting to make stress hormones and so forth because you're you're getting some signal that something is, is wrong, right? Um, but at the same time, your rational mind is saying it's okay. Like, there's nothing actually bad happening right now. Um, and, and sometimes that, you know, that, that the sense of fear can start before you're even consciously aware of it. You know, there's, there's actually a pathway, you know, in your brain that can go straight to the amygdala, that fear center of the, of the brain, uh, and totally bypass the, you know, rational conscious part of your mind. So it is totally possible to set off those kinds of unconscious alarm bells. And that can be one of the things that's going on when you're getting that sense of something being creepy is, you know, you're getting, you're getting those alarm bells going off, but you're not consciously aware of, you know, a, a real imminent danger, a real threat. So clowns, you know, when you think about it, even if a clown isn't overtly scary, it's not holding a knife or it's not doing anything rotten, um, it still can be creepy because it's got that sense of, ambiguity where you don't know what they're going to do next they're kind of tricksters and um and with all the makeup and the weird hair and (laughs) giant feet and all the whole thing um it just gives you that sense that something is something is off something's not normal and so in a way they're clowns are almost like the perfect storm of things to be creepy uh because they, they embody all of that ambiguity and and what is it that makes us slow down and try to get a closer look at car accidents. Yeah, that's, you know, that sense of morbid curiosity, which I think we all feel. And, you know, we we may not feel good about the fact that we slow down and look, you know, when there's a car accident, but but we we do it. And um, some level of morbid curiosity, I think, is totally normal. Uh, Scientists have, have said that, you know, you can you can measure people's level of morbid curiosity there was there was one Dutch scientist who even did experiments where she gave people different pictures to look at, and they could choose what to look at and for how long. And people would, on average, they would choose to spend longer looking at images that depicted death or violence, even over more pleasant pictures. So it's it's something that we all do. We all have some instinct to you know to look at those kinds of things. And I think you know the popularity of Shows like CSI and 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 all of that really kind of is a testament to how much we we have that kind of instinct and curiosity about death. Um, but the question, I guess, is is why? Why do we feel that way? You know, and I I think one thing is that thrill that we get from fear that we talked about. You know, um, there's there's also this concept in psychology of what they call benign masochism, <laughs> which you know, masochism is like <laughs> masochism is like where you want to feel pain. Um, so benign masochism is like where we want to feel the fear um, and get that rush of all of those brain chemicals going, um, but we actually know that we're safe. So that's the benign part, right? And so 
you know, you get to have that, it's like the haunted house kind of experience um, all over again, or, or when you are lined up to, you know, smell a corpse flower, and you, you get to take your emotions for a ride, basically, you get to feel that rush, but you know that you're actually safe, you know, the thing that's, that's disgusting is not actually going to make you sick. And the thing that's scary is not actually going to hurt you. So I think it's all kind of tied in. And, and I, a lot of it has to do with, with what's actually happening in our brains. You mentioned CSI. What's a crime scene dollhouse? Oh, yeah. So these are there are um, a whole series of real-life uh, miniature crime scenes, um, crime scene dollhouses that were created in the 1940s and 50s by a woman named uh, Frances Glessner Lee. And she is considered by some to be like the mother of forensic science in the U.S. She, um, she really wanted to find a way to train detectives and police in the emerging field of forensic science, um, which, you know, was, was really not being used much until that time. And so she built these... They look like dollhouses. They're like dioramas, but they depict crime scenes, and they have really detailed clues and evidence throughout them. And so the idea is that some crime has been committed, someone's been murdered, and detectives, you know, analyze these crime scenes, these little dioramas, and are looking for clues, and they're putting their forensic science knowledge to the test. So you have to look at unbelievable little details in these crime scenes. They're called the, um, the Nutshell Studies of Unexplained Death. <laughs> and um, there was a Smithsonian exhibit of them, um, you know, a few years back, but they're normally housed at the medical examiner's office in Baltimore. And I actually got a chance to go see them in person and participate in the seminar, which still happens every year, where detectives and other law enforcement personnel can go in and they learn uh, all about forensic science, all different aspects, and then they test that knowledge out by solving one of the crimes in these tiny crime scenes. So it was it was amazing. It was actually a lot of fun to um, to put my own you know knowledge to the test. And I have to say that my my group solved its crime. We got we nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's good. Um, when you were first working on, on gory details, and you've written about science forever, were there things that gross you out, or have you just become numb to that? <laughs> Actually, I think I am totally average when it comes to being disgusted. There's, <laughs> there's actually a, psych a psychology test you can take. Um, anyone who goes to my website um, can sign up for my newsletter, and you'll get a copy of this test. You can see for yourself how easily disgusted you are. Um, but I, I come up totally average on that. So I think for me, um, I've become much more comfortable and less afraid of things by looking at them through this scientific lens, by studying them scientifically. Um, you know, it, it's actually, I think, made me overall a less fearful person to have, you know, put myself <laughs> willingly <laughs> into these these crazy situations of, you know, seeing an autopsy in real life and, you know, sticking my hand into the big thing of maggots in a research lab and, 
you know, um, and eating insects for the first time, all of those things, you know, definitely a challenge for me. But, you know, I, I, I think it actually is helpful to use science to help overcome some of those fears. What have you been doing since, uh, since you did Gory Details? <laughs> well, keeping busy, you know, the, with the pandemic, that kind of uh, shifted a lot of, uh, of our worlds. Um, and that's true for science journalists, too. I mean, it really has been um, all about COVID for a while now. And um, so I've been working hard, doing a lot of editing uh, for Science News Magazine, um, both with our with coverage of uh, of COVID earlier on, and and now I'm working on um, a really fun project with them, getting getting away from some of the COVID stuff and working on a celebration of the last century of science. So that's sciencenews.org. Uh, science News Magazine is celebrating its 100th anniversary, and so for anyone who's not familiar with that magazine, I'd say. Definitely check it out and check out our, our coverage of the last century of science because there's just a lot of really fun, interesting coverage, and I'm really proud to have been a, a part of that project. I just did an interview with a guy um, who's written a book, a fascinating book, called um, Revolutionary Surgeons. And, ah. it, and it literally talks about... Um, surgeons during the American Revolution. Yeah. I bet they were doing some bloodletting. <laughs> they back were then. the things they were crazy things. the things they were doing were just unbelievable. I, I mean abdominal surgery and treating breast cancer by removing the nodes and and stuff you wouldn't imagine <laughs> that they would even attempt in those days mm-hmm. and all without anesthetic. Oh, my gosh. Or antiseptic yeah. procedures. Yeah, exactly. And, I mean, that's the scariest part. <laughs> no it, antibiotics. Yeah, it, it's... Um, anyway, it, it was really interesting because I haven't seen a lot about that um, that history in science. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, you know, the the history of medical science is... Just amazing. Um, you know, obviously many books have been written <laughs> um, about the history of medical science and all of those things. One of the things, you know, that, that I touch on in my book is, um, is the history of bloodletting, which is why I was, you know, yeah. curious whether yeah. they talked about that in, your, in the Revolutionary War book, because at that time, you know, that was still very common, the idea that um, you know, you basically had bad blood if you were sick. And so the thing to do was to get that blood out of you. Um, and, of course, they would basically drain people. <laughs> I mean, you know, bleed them to death, more or less. Um, it's even been been discussed that that may be the reason why um, George Washington died. You know, that he was he was sick, uh, but he had an infection that he, he might have recovered from, but his doctor... Um, you know, was practicing bloodletting and and documented how much blood he was taking out of Washington over time, and it was it was a lot. Um, so that may have actually contributed to his to his untimely demise um, at that point. And it was really common, and it's still um, it's still practiced in some places today. You know, you can still find um, find people who are are doing bloodletting um, as a as a cure. Um, <laughs> 
and obviously for for most people it's not not a good idea uh, there are only a couple of um, medical conditions where like people who have way too much iron in the blood things like that where uh, they will they will do something akin to bloodletting um, to relieve those conditions but for most people no it's not going to cure anything uh, it's just going to make you weaker <laughs> well Erica I, we're we're out of time and I, I know I gotta let you go so you can get to whatever's next but um, I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you and your work past present and future do you have a website Absolutely. So the easiest thing to do is to go to gorydetailsbook.com, and that'll take you to my website, and you can see all about me and the book and what I'm doing. And, um, and of course, you can also buy the book, you know, anywhere books are sold, and I encourage people to go through their local independent bookstores whenever they can. Well, Erica, it was great talking with you again, and uh, I, I hope we get to do it again. Absolutely. Thanks so much. Take have care. a happy Halloween. Bye-bye. That was uh, Erica Engelhaupt. She has spent more than a decade writing and editing for uh, top science publications, including National Geographic, Science News, and NPR. And uh, she's been on the show a couple times talking about her book, Gory Details, Adventures from the Dark Side of Science. And we'll have more of the Tom Sumner program straight Tom Sumner Program.com The Tom Sumner Program.com Armchair Politics is going to hell. Hell, Michigan, that is, and you are invited. On October 27th, Wednesday before Halloween, Armchair Politics will be broadcasting live from 9 a.m. to noon from the Hell Saloon in Hell, Michigan, near Pinckney. This will be our first in-person meeting of the Tom Sumner Program's weekly roundtable armchair politics since the beginning of the pandemic. Join me and roundtable regulars Flint's premier political pundit Paul Rosicki on the left and longtime Genesee County Republican Henry Hatter on the right, plus more on Wednesday, October 27, 2021, starting at 9 a.m. at the Hell Saloon. Armchair politics is going to hell, and you can too.
Hey, <laughs> this is the Unknown Comic. And guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now. And now, and now too, and even now. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines, since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Vi from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Annan. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. The Tom Sumner Program is made possible with support from Seth David Radwell, a recent guest on the program and author of American Schism, How the Two Enlightenments Hold a Secret to Healing Our Nation, released in July 2021. As Publishers Weekly writes in its recent glowing review of American Schism, business executive Radwell's epic debut examines the historical influences that have led to what he sees as the collapse of politics in the United States. Seth Radwell makes the case that the current chasm between the American right and left can be traced back to the 18th century's Age of Enlightenment and the basic tenets of liberty, equality, and reason. American Schism provides a historical perspective that can help bridge current day divides. American Schism by Seth David Radwell is available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and wherever books are sold. For more information, go to AmericanSchismBook.com. 
MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. The uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. All the Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen in the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. She knows if the stores are all closed With a word she can get what she came for And she's buying a stairway to heaven There's a sign on the wall But she wants to be sure Cause you know sometimes words have two meanings In a tree by the brook There's a songbird who sings Sometimes all of our thoughts are misgiving And she's buying a stairway to heaven It makes me wonder There's a bustle in your hedgerow, don't be alarmed now It's just a spring clean for the May Queen Yes, there are two paths you can go by But in the long run, there's still time to change the road you're on Ooh, it makes me wonder Your 
Your head is humming and it won't go in case you don't know The piper's calling you to join him Dear lady, can you hear the wind blow? And did you know your stairway lies on the whispering wind? And as we wind on down the road Our shadows taller than our souls There walks a lady we all know Who shines bright light and wants to know How everything still turns to gold And if you listen very hard The tune will come to you at last When the three in one is all in all To be the rock and not to roll
That wraps up our uh, Thursday edition of the Tom Sumner program with a little something from Steve McComb down in the Nashville office from his Come On In CD, Spider to the Fly. You hear that melody a lot, especially just before in the uh, intro and uh, in the bumpers for the uh, Schlocktober. And, of course, that was (laughs) Pat Boone singing Stairway to Heaven. Like I said, you might love the artist, you might love the song, but the two together, maybe not so much. But while everybody else is celebrating Rocktober and Shocktober, we celebrate Schlocktober through the month of October with a different horrible recording each and every day. want to say thanks to all my guests on the show today, uh, starting with this last hour with Erica Engelhaupt, uh, author of Gory Details from uh, National Geographic. And uh, before that, um, a really fun uh, conversation with A.M. Justice. Amanda, was uh, that was her first time being on the show, although her books have been out for a few years. Um, a Wizard's Forge is the name of Amanda's book, A.M. Justice. And uh, we started out this morning talking about teaching change, um, rethinking uh, education and showing that focus on relationships, resilience, and reflection can better prepare higher education graduates for the future. That from educator and author Jose Antonio Bowen. So thanks to all of them for uh, being part of the show today, and thanks to all of you for tuning in. I hope you you enjoyed these conversations. We'll be back tomorrow with... uh, This is going to be interesting. A uh, successful business entrepreneur who started out as a stripper. We'll talk with her uh, on tomorrow's show. In the meantime, good night, everybody. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show. We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner Program. And thanks for listening.